As Jean comes to read the scripture this morning, what I need you to notice is why these comparisons? You're going to hear words that we hear every single year around this time. Of that there is a lineage to the one who is to come. A heritage. And what this one will bring is going to do some bizarre things. And so listen for those, but then notice these among the last lines of who it is that will lead it all. A shoot shall come from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth And with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist, and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursling child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. On that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples. The nation shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. All right, I need you to look on the front of your bulletin again. And just kind of hold that, uh, if you will. Uh, Wendy, I just said, that is a phenomenal picture and absolutely perfect for today. Way to go. Unless you believe that what's on the front of your bulletin is a conflict between Jesus and Santa, I will admit to you that I have, again, I I keep talking about my friend Ray in in, uh, Bible study, and Ray and I are, are dear friends, best friends, really, and yet vehemently disagree theologically with each other. And for Ray, this is the perfect picture for the Christmas season, that it should never be about Santa, but should absolutely, without question, only be about Jesus. i got to admit to you now that I am Santa's biggest fan. I am. And I will tell you that, without exception, all four of the Beeman children, including our 34-year-old, who is in Thailand right now, knows that if, In fact, you come and say that you no longer believe in Santa. Hmm. That that Santa gift that Santa brings will not, in fact, appear under the tree on Christmas Eve. 
it won't. I love Santa partially because he is the ultimate gifter and partially because he sometimes and somehow for many of us represents how I think we often view God. For instance, Santa spends an inordinate amount of time going over the lists, checking them twice, and as I said earlier in the children's moments, determining naughtiness and niceness of all of us. Or is that God's work? Santa can obviously be in multiple places at the same time or can travel so rapidly that we never notice that he's not in the same place at the same time. Or is that God? Santa can obviously be um, everyone's friend. He seems to love everyone, as the kids said this morning, and seeks to find gifts specific to the needs of everyone. Where's that God? And yet with both, we see these vast disagreements, these strong opinions about their background, their history, the myths that surround them, and the expectations that are born absolutely out of this time of year. But friends, there is a reason that he is called Saint Nick. Maybe what we need to do is examine both in regards to that as we kind of anticipate what's coming to the church. Now, I am aware that there are potentially a lot of you who may disagree with me about this whole Santa Claus thing. I'm happy to sit with you at any moment and argue the fact, but just be warned that I've spent more time examining Santa than I have spent in theological education. If you want to take that on, friends, bring it on, baby. I mean, come on. There is so much to this, though, that, that is, is so interesting. You know, but let me go back to where I, what I mean about Santa. You know, whether Santa is the Alan kind of appearing um, jolly elf who can look somewhat rotund if he chooses to, uh, with a longer beard than that. But, but what if it's not just about the figure, or the reindeer, or Rudolph? What if more it's about Santa's history and what Santa brought to those multiple regions around the world? What if, what if it's more about the Santa who would walk down the street on a cold night and particularly go to specific homes where there wasn't much and throw gold coins in a bag that would come down the chimney and fall into the shoes that were warming by the fire? What if that's more what Santa was like? Or, or what about that Santa who made sure that every child in the villages where he visited would have a chance to dream. To sit with Him in a very loving way and be heard. What, what if that's the Santa that we may be dealing with? What if it's not about the commercialization of the Santa Claus? What if it's not about the bottom line of what we spend every year? What if it's more about why we spend And for whom we spend. And I'm not just talking about your family. I'm talking about the tables that may be sitting out there or the cards that you took off of the bulletin board. But isn't it interesting that there's this combination, that this is, in fact, a time 
of giving. And yet, as I've shared with you before, one of the lessons that you have taught me um, after 22 years of ministry is that it's not just about giving. It's also about receiving. And there is a grace in receiving. And what Santa helps us understand is that both have an equal place in this equation. But, at the same time, isn't our understanding of God sometimes too much like our understanding of Santa? Isn't sometimes our understanding of God is that God has the big book, right? The big book, and all our names are in the big book. And there's check marks. And some of those check marks are in red ink. That's the naughty part. And that if there are too many of those marks in red ink on the naughty part, then no matter how we pray or what we pray, we will not, in fact, receive anything but a stocking full of coal. That somehow we understand God to be this judgmental figure that will only do things for those who live perfect lives. And oh, by the way, if you don't already know, none of us fit that mold. But what Matthew does for us over and over and over again is reminds us it's not about that at all. It's to help us realize that in God's view, there is a new balance of creation. That if you look at that list of who is dwelling with whom, that what that tells us that through God and through the one who is to come, those who used to be enemies, those who used to be threatening, those who used to be predators, somehow shift and change and become partners in the world. And that as Matthew quotes this Isaiah scripture, and as we say it every single year, It's not just about a child leading them. But it's about approaching all of this with childlike hearts. My children know of my belief in Santa. And I share that with you unapologetically. Why? (laughs) Something miraculous happens every Christmas in our family. My children don't necessarily always get along. I'm sure I'm the only one in this room for whom that is true. (laughs) Something miraculous happens when we come together at the late Christmas Eve service and we spend that time together and we all go home and we go to our separate rooms and and then when Cora comes at about 5.57, knowing that she can't wake us up until 6, and wakes us up, and we go downstairs and we share this time, something miraculous happens there, under that tree. And it doesn't matter whether this is a a lean year or a prosperous year. It doesn't matter, for some reason, if some of the things that have happened in our lives have been negative or positive. Something miraculous happens when we come together and we share this time together. And that, friends, I believe without question, is a miracle of God. And I could say that jokingly, 
but I don't. Something happens to us if we clearly understand what the true spirit of Christmas may be. But again, for Matthew, it has to go back to that central piece in the Gospel of Matthew, that all-encompassing section at the beginning of chapter 5 that we call the Beatitudes. What if it's not just about who Jesus was or is? What if it's about what He brings to our understanding of faith? And what if we allow those things, and particularly those first seven elements, to engage us and transform us? Here's what I mean by that. What is coming will bring answers to our spiritual yearnings and define for us what the Christmas spirit really means. If you have your Bibles open to the Beatitudes, and you'll understand exactly what I'm talking about here. Matthew 5. Blessed are those who realize their own spiritual poverty. The more we realize the need we have of that, the more we will find those answers and the more sense this season will make as we anticipate candle to candle to candle what this is all about. Then, and really I think only then, will we realize that not only is it okay to feel things deeply, blessed are those who mourn, but it's expected. And particularly as we experience these things together. And then we realize that what's coming is the best definition of what it really means to be meek. I grew up, maybe you did too, seeing these pictures of this emaciated Jesus. Meek and mild. And yet, Jim, I I looked at that picture again when you set it out, and it's that picture of Jesus. We were talking about this, and if those who are in class in my Matthew class tonight, we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that, is this picture that was, I hope it's okay to share this, but it was so meaningful for Jim, of a young boy guiding a boat in what looks like stormy skies, and there is this very strong figure of Jesus with his hand on his shoulder and pointing a direction. One of the pictures that I think some of us grew up with. Meekness does not mean weak. It simply means that we're taught that we're not God. And particularly in a church, the more of us who act like we are, the more serious trouble we get into as a church. We're not God. But if we open ourselves to those previous three, something mystical and miraculous happens. We realize, number four, that with these first three, we realize that what God hopes we will become and we'll continually try and live out, is this Christmas spirit throughout this year, this giving spirit, this receiving spirit. And then we're able to find that not only can we give mercy, but that we can receive mercy. We realize that it's okay to fail. And I, many of you know that, that, that I'm presenting this new leadership model to the church that is hopefully going to be implemented in January. I met with my bishop last Thursday to try and, and help, you know, to... To, to let him know what was going on. And, and said to him, Grant, I, I just, I'm, I'm concerned that somehow this is the first time this has been tried. And, and I said, 
I know that there are going to be pieces of it that fail. But I thought of the fact that that's part of what we do with each other. But failure doesn't mean defeat in this body of believers. As we live out this spirit, it doesn't mean defeat. It means growth. It means redirecting. It means creating a hybrid that becomes much better. And I, f- I feel like we're, we're, we're there. Where we can try this stuff out because what we've been doing hasn't been working. It's okay to fail because we know that surrounded, we're surrounded by folks who recognize that we all do at times. And if we stay together, we can redefine and get better. And finally, out of this comes peace. A peace where together we can walk across a rickety bridge knowing that there's something amazing on the other side of it. Or a, a peace that descends when when we see our place in the world even as we walk along the beach of an ocean. Or as you look at these pictures, a peace that happens in a new day at a sunrise or the walk around Spain's El Camino or as we look at the distance or we come out of the water of baptism or as we reunite with those who have we haven't seen for a long time, or of new birth and even death. Of all of these pictures. And that particularly when we do this together, we find a whole other understanding, a deeper understanding of Christmas, even of peace. I think many of us have struggled with this whole idea of Santa Claus for a long time. And to prove that, I want to read you something that came out of the New York Sun-Times in 1897. And guess what the question is? This question was delivered to the New York Sun-Times by a young eight-year-old named Virginia, who, by the way, lived at um, Virginia O'Hanlon in West 95th Street in New York City. See if you see the whole idea of Christmas and God and what's coming as the editorialist writes back to Virginia. Here's her question. Dear editor, I'm eight years old and my friends have been telling me that there is no Santa Claus. My father told me to write to you. He said that if you see it in the New York Sun-Times, then it has to be true. Kind of like the Seattle Times. Sorry. Please tell me the truth. Is there a Santa Claus? I could insert God right in there. The editor responded. Dear Virginia, your little friends are wrong. They have been affected by the skepticism of a skeptical age. Sound familiar? They do not believe except for what they see. They think that nothing can be which is not comprehensible by their minds. She must have been a brilliant eight-year-old. All minds, Virginia, whether they be adults or children's, are small. In this great universe of ours, humanity is but the smallest of creatures as compared with the boundless universe that surrounds us. No one can fully grasp the whole of the truth or knowledge. Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. And he exists exists certainly as love and generosity and devotion exists. And know that those abound and give to your life its highest beauty and joy. 
Alas, how dreary would the world be if there was no Santa Claus. It would be dreary if there were no Virginias to ask questions like this or others like you. There would be no childlike faith then, no poetry, no romance to make tolerable this existence. We would have no enjoyment except what we can see and maybe touch the eternal light with which childhood is filled and a child shall lead them, would be extinguished. Virginia, please know that only faith and fancy and poetry and love and romance can push aside that curtain and view and picture something beyond ourselves, a supernatural beauty and glory beyond. Is it all real? Ah, Virginia, in all this world there is nothing else as real and as abiding. No Santa Claus. Thank God He lives and He lives forever. A thousand years from now, nay, ten thousand years from now, He will continue to make glad the heart of children of every age. A childlike heart and a child shall lead one. Friend, let me close with this thought. The word that was used in what Jean read this morning was the root or the shoot out of the stump, the deeply rooted stump that was Jesse. What if this time, the way that we saw ourselves, particularly as related to these words of Jesus that we call the Beatitudes, what if those become our deeper roots? And what is, as we study those and as we experience those and as we live those out, particularly in this place and then beyond these doors, what if what happens then is our roots get so fully and completely entwined with the roots of Jesus, the one who is to come, that you cannot see any longer a separation between the two? What if we're that next shoot? that next growth, that next sprout of this love and the magic that is this Christmas season? What if we're the next Santa Claus? What if we're the hands and feet of Christ? What if? And so we wait. Will you pray with me? God, as the ensemble comes up to help us realize who it is that we're waiting for. They play this beautiful piece, this number that asks the absolute right question. What child is this? What child is this? God, I continue to ask that as we go deeper and deeper in our own rootedness, that we realize that You are already there, giving us nourishment and focus and the power to grow. So we ask Your blessing in this time, all in the powerful name of the One who is to come, Jesus Christ.